Well, it is good to see you. Welcome to 40 Days of Community, if you have your outlines there. The past four weeks, we've been looking at how we need each other to fulfill the different purposes that God has for our lives. And we've been looking at the benefit of fellowshipping together, reaching out together. It's easier, better together. The the value of growing together. I love this morning to be able to worship together. It's fantastic. So again, thank you. So today, though, we're going to look at serving together. Now, folks, God did not create you to just live for yourself, to take up space, to consume lots of goods, to have fun, retire, and then die. That's not what this life is about. He expects you to use your life to help other people. That's what he does. So how do you actually serve God? Well, we serve God by serving others. That is a correct definition of ministry. And God has created every Christian to be a minister. Every Christian is saved to serve. Not to sit, to soak and to sour. So if you're a Christian today, you are created to serve God, to be a minister. So whenever you, what does that really mean? This is what it means, nuts and bolts. Whenever you use your talents, your abilities, your passions, your penchants, your energy, your resources, to help others or your background, that is called ministry. And what we call ministry here is wrapped up in an acronym SHAPE at New Hope. When, and when you use your shape to help someone else, that's serving them. But God does not, listen, let me say this again. God does not want you to do this alone. He wants you to do it in community. Let's pick it up in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. First verse in your outline. Agree with each other. Agree with each other. Let's start with that one. Agree with each other, loving one another, working together, not in isolation, with one heart and purpose. And that's what we're going to look at today. Well, you might say, well, come on. Come on, Ian. Why can't I serve God on my own? I prefer my own company. You know, other people get in the way. Why do I have to have other people in my life? Why can't I just serve God? Three reasons. I want to quickly note them. Number one is because we're a family. We're a family. And as a family, like in my family, we work together. The Bible says that in 1 Corinthians 3.9. We work together as partners who belong to God. Let's reverse that. If you belong to God, is that you? If it is, then we work together as partners. Each partner in a company has a responsibility and a role and a contribution to make. And God, by the way, is more interested in the relationships you build while you are serving than he even is in the service than what you do. And that's why he wants you to do it with others, not on your own. So God says here, 
We're a family. And I want you to learn to get along with others in the family of God. Because you're going to spend eternity with them. In fact, in our family, when two of our progeny were squabbling, my wife had developed an ingenious situation. She was tired of sorting out their problems. So she'd stick them in the laundry and say, you two are not coming out of there until you two have agreed how you're going to solve your own problem. Goodbye. Shut. Now, at first it was, hmm, the Mexicans turned off. But they suddenly realized they're not coming out until they realized. So then they were forced to negotiate themselves and come out with an amicable solution. Now, if you're going to be in heaven forever, God wants you to work it out down here. Work out how to get along with people because those exact same people that are in the kingdom of God, you're going to spend eternity with them. Number two, why else? Why can't I serve God just by myself? Because one, we're family. Second, because we need each other to serve. Nobody in this room, nobody in the world has all the requisite talents and gifts needed. God intentionally designed us that way so that we would need each other. No man's an island. And the Bible says that we're part of the body of Christ, the body. Remember, fingers, eyes. Some of us are hands, some of us are feet, some of us are eyes, some of us are ears. And the Bible says here that each of us finds our meaning and function. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So without this, I don't have meaning and function. Each of us finds our meaning and function as part of Christ's body. But a chopped off finger or cut off toe wouldn't amount to much, would we? No, we wouldn't. We'd die. If my finger gets chopped off, it's dead, pretty much. Especially for a long time. For your finger to live, it needs to be attached to the body. So you have to be connected to God as family in order to find function, works, see? (laughs) It works, and meaning in life. The third reason we need each other is because together, this is a good one, we get more done. We get more done together. The Bible says two are better off than one. Because, why? What's the reason? Because they can work more effectively. You may say, well, what do I have to offer? Well, this is the truth. You have something to offer, but you don't have enough to offer just by yourself. That's why you need other people in your life. And God wants you to be part of a team. And that team is his kingdom. And I just want you to write somewhere there, teamwork multiplies effectiveness. You can put it anywhere on the side. Teamwork multiplies effectiveness. Now, the Bible compares serving together to the analogy of gardening. Here, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.8, the one, who, the one who plants and the one who waters work as a team with the same purpose. On a team, you get closer, you get more done, and you have more fun. But I want to tell you this, that serving actually builds fellowship faster than socializing. Let me say that again. Serving together builds fellowship or community faster than socializing. But the problem is teams don't just happen. And you want to know, should I mention, dare I mention the warriors? (laughs) They must be built. It takes effort. So what does it to build a team. 
And you can apply these four principles, by the way, that I'm going to share with you in many different ways. You can take these principles and use them to turn your marriage and family into a team. Today, I see many families that are disparate and they're not functioning as a team. So you may want to apply this to your family on one side. You can use it to create a, a team spirit at work. So this is applicable. God's principles are applicable everywhere, in every country. You can use, apply these principles to grow a small group closer together as a life team. But today, for me, what I want to share with you, I want to focus today is how to build a ministry team. So to build a team, the first thing it takes, no matter what, is trust. You need trust. It is the emotional glue that draws you closer to your friends. It is the glue that, draw, that, that holds your family together. Trust. A small group together. It creates a team. Teamwork without trust is impossible. Teamwork without trust is impossible. Now, Jesus had a team, right? Uh, St. Paul had a team. The common thing between Jesus and Paul, and Jesus is our example, is we follow their example. They're our model. Now, on Paul's team, one of the guys' name was Timothy. And in 1 Timothy 6, 12, uh, 20, the Bible says, Timothy, guard, he's charging me, guard, look after, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Now, the word entrust means, and it involves trust, entrust. So to build a team, you must share responsibility. Mums, listen to me carefully on this. Your children need to take responsibility in your home. Do not let, your name is not, mum is not another word for slave. You need to empower your children from the earliest days so that they become part of your team. And you need to do it while they are young. Same thing. So to build a team, you must share responsibility. You need to let other people do some work. For example, in rugby, normally speaking, to win the game, to score, you need to pass the ball to somebody else. Now I have a question for some of you who are in the small groups. Who do you need to hand off, or what do you need to hand off in your small group to somebody else? Maybe one of the goals for your small group is to, is to have each person each week take some teaching. Rotate who leads. Hand off the discussion part. You may split it up. But what do you need to hand off so you're not doing it all yourself? Because there's hidden talent in every small group. And your job, if you're a leader, is to find that talent and release it. But it will take trust. It will take trust. Look at the next verse. Many people claim to be loyal. But it's hard to find a trustworthy person. So in other words, Solomon's telling us here, be wary of people who keep telling you, telling you, telling you, oh, you can count on me. I'm with you. Why? Why should you be wary of that? Because words are cheap. Anybody can say them. What counts is quiet, consistent action over time. 
That's what counts. So how do you know who to trust? How do you find a trustworthy person? Actually, more important than that is let me ask you this question. How do you become a trustworthy person so that people trust you? How do you do that? You may want to write these three ways down. Number one, very importantly, by being consistent. Many people want to serve God in showy, spectacular, upfront ways. But God says you build trust by being faithful and trustworthy in the little things. Luke 16.10 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. So when you serve God with the right attitude, it doesn't matter who's looking. God is. Serving in the little things is often seemingly insignificant and can be inconvenient. But this is the truth. It proves character if you're prepared to do the little things. Therefore, whoever can be trusted with very little, something small, what have you been given to do? Are you consistent with that? It'll prove your character. Second, the second way you get people to trust you, and this is very, very important, if you want to be trusted, if you want your children to be trusted, if you want to build a trustworthy team, is by being confidential. Now, one of the rules for our small groups is what's said in the group stays in the group. Why is that? Because the Bible says this in Proverbs eleven thirteen: Gossip betrays a confidence. But a trustworthy man or woman keeps a secret. Can you be trusted to keep a secret? If somebody tells you something in confidence, can you stitch your lips up? Now, let me be clear about what gossip is. Gossip is when you're sharing information and you're not, one, part of the problem, or B, part of the solution. So when somebody says something, first question should be in your mind. Am I part of this problem or am I part of the solution? If none of the two is the case, I've actually had to say to somebody, somebody, and it takes a bit of courage and it's very uncomfortable, please don't fill my ear with garbage. I'll say it again. Please don't fill my ear with garbage. And garbage is, if I'm not part of the problem, not part of the solution. By the way, people, and I'm sure you know this, but young people, let me especially talk to you so you get this. Older people have figured this out. When people talk to you about other people, they will also talk about you to other people. So be aware of that. If they gossip to you, they're going to gossip about you. Get it? Good. You won't fall for that trap. Thirdly, if you want people to trust you, it's not only being consistent and confidential, but it's by being close. By being close. The Bible says friends love through all kinds of weather. And families stick together in all kinds of trouble. Notice stick together. 
Sticking together involves what Kimberly actually talked about this morning, proximity, closeness. Distance, on the other hand, creates distrust. You don't trust people you don't know. Now, notice also that verse says, it says, love through all kinds of weather. It takes a while to work that through. So in other words, I want you to write somewhere that trust takes time. You can't grow trust quickly, but all of us in this room know it only takes a second to lose it. The fact is, some of you are just starting to grow closer in your group, and you're just starting to trust each other. I urge you to stay together after the 40 days. Don't cut short what God is doing in your life. Because we've seen some great things, and I'm hearing great things from the group leaders. God is looking for trustworthy people who will work as a team together to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Now, the second key to teamwork is empathy. All of us have one of these things that we probably need to work on more than the other. The key to teamwork is empathy. The Bible says here in this first Peter, live in harmony with one another be sympathetic. Now you can't have the first harmony without the second, being empathetic. You're never going to live in harmony with your husband or your friends or your wife or anybody else without sympathy. You can't have a team without being aware of what's going on in the various members. It's more than just working on a project. So how do you become a more empathetic person? If that's a requirement, how do you do it? Well, the first thing And this is really hard for some of us. Slow down. Speed destroys empathy. Now my son's in-laws live in Kirikiri. If I fly there, I see one level of detail. If I drive there in a car, I see another level. If I drive on my motorcycle, I see a different level of detail. If I bike there on a push bike, I see a different... If I walk there, would I see more detail? Of course. Well, I would make it. <laughs> I'm this little crazy guy that would, Ernst. <laughs> the point is, the faster I move, the more details I miss. Now, because culture teaches us subtly that to move fast is a value, by default, we end up relationally skimming. All of us end up relationally skimming. That means that you hit the high points and you miss all the kinds of details that are going on in people's lives that you care about the most. Even in your kids' lives. In your parents' lives. Now, in your small group, now the Bible says here in James chapter 1, verse 19, be quick. That's one thing you can be quick at. Be quick to listen. But what does it say? Then slow to speak. So there's some things you should be quick at. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. We're often exactly the opposite way around. We're very quick to speak. What? (laughs) Did you not hear me say that? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? We get it round. And that's great advice for groups as well. And this is why this happens. This is the science behind why it happens. We can listen at about 650 words a minute. That's what we can suck down and deduce a modicum of unmeaning from that. But people typically only speak 
at about 150 words a minute. Therefore, it gives you a 400 word per minute boredom factor. But please don't use that for an excuse when you're talking to somebody next to whip out Facebook you know, on, on your iPhone and listen. You can't say, well, I'm, I'm watching Facebook, but I'm listening to you. I'm checking it. Yes, you can actually do that, but you're not being empathetic, so you have to intentionally slow down. Second, you need to ask questions. That's how you show empathy to your children, to your workmate, or anybody else. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, a person's thoughts are like water in a deep well. You've got to go down, you've got to spend a bit of time getting them out. It takes a while to get to the bottom of that well. But someone with insight can draw them out. So why do I have to draw it out? Well, the reason is people don't normally just blurt out their feelings. Some do, but most don't. So you must draw it out. Well, how do you do that? Well, here's a really good tool to draw this out. You ask the question twice. You ask the question twice. You know what I'm saying. So, hi, how are you? What's the normal answer? Yeah. What are you up to? I'm busy or something like that. But, but, but if you stop and you ask the same question again, now you say, now Chris, how are you really? I've dropped the cog. I've dropped another level. And, you, and they start to tell you something. And then you say, just something more like this. Tell me more. Tell me more. You're asking the question in a non-threatening way. But sometimes we just ask the first because we're going so fast. How, how are you? Fine, they are fine. Goodbye. <laughs> Dispatched. And the, th- the third thing just to remember is, right, don't be afraid of silence. Third, show emotions. Proverbs 18.3. 13, excuse me. I'll get to that in a second. Just wait. Let's do this one first. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Empathy is more than saying, I'm sorry I hurt. I hurt with you. It's saying, I hurt with you. So, to take a team and to build a team, it takes trust. You build trust between each other to have a team or a small group. Empathy, we're all different. A, accommodation. What the heck does that mean? Accommodation. When you make accommodation for someone, you give them space. You give them room to move. This weekend, we had Mr. Jacques staying with us. We gave him some accommodation. We gave him some space. We gave him his own room. Now, this church has been very unselfish. Today, even to get this place set up, people have been here from 7.15 in the morning setting up chairs. There are many ministries, people teaching children next door, up in sparkles, preparing the worship, the hospitality, on and on and on. In fact, right now, can I just, uh, just ask, if, if you serve here as a small group leader or in any ministry in the church, would you please stand? Stand, please. That's you and two clued, Martin. Okay, you know what, friend? Let's give each one a hand for all the people that do something in this church. Thank you, thank you. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, be faithful, loving, and easy to get along with. Faithful, loving, and easy to get along with. That is a great refrigerator verse. Some of you wise want to cut that right now and enlarge that. <laughs> Stick it smack in the middle of the refrigerator. Fourth 
four areas quickly, and I'll just whip through these, to accommodate uh, that you can be accommodating your small group. You can accommodate each other's needs. The Bible says each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? Unselfish. Secondly, we can accommodate each other by asking each other's ideas. The Bible says the intelligent man is always open to new ideas, not closed-minded. In fact, he looks for them. Thirdly, we can accommodate each other's personalities. Why should we do that? Because the Bible says God, in his kindness, has given each of his different gifts. And each gift is to be appreciated differently. And this is a big one where we normally get a little hung up. The fourth way we can accommodate each other, give them space, is to accommodate each other's faults. The Bible says be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Yeah, those faults, those ones that give you, give you some curry. We accommodate people because of our love. Now, God me- never meant you to love, uh, to, to run alone either. You weren't meant to go through life by yourself. You need a family. You need a group to hang with. You need the body of Christ. You need other believers. Now, there's a fourth key in being a team, and it's the most important. I've left this to last. Because without it, you're not a team. You're just a social club. You can have trust. You can have empathy. You can accommodate each other's needs and differences. But what makes a team specific is mission. Teams aren't created just to exist for themselves. They must have a purpose. They must have a vision. They must have a mission. And they're doing something together. The Bible says in Philippians 2, be of the same mind, on the same page, in other words, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Not swatting all over the map on all sorts of non-essentials. At New Hope, our small groups during 40 days of community are learning how to put God's five purposes into practice. We're learning how to do things together. We're fellowshipping together, worshipping together, serving together, reaching out together, and growing together. Now notice the word maintain. It means you have to put some energy into it. Question, how will I maintain God's purpose for your life after 40 days of community. Well, the Bible gives us a bit of encouragement here in Hebrews 10.25. It says, let us not give up the habit, regular pattern, of meeting together, but let us encourage one another. I know many of you have been encouraged in the small groups. So in other words, don't stop doing what you've been doing. Keep on meeting together and stay in your group. In your group, you'll continue to learn to grow together, to fellowship together, to worship together, to reach out together, and to serve together. We need each other. Look at this verse here. Live in a way that brings honor to the good news of Jesus Christ. Standing strong with one purpose and working together. Not by yourself. As for the faith of the good news. So we're pursuing God's purposes, but we're doing it in community. Intentional about our purpose and working together. 
So one of the things that, is, or actually two things, fairly shortly, Renee's going to take you through this little brochure here at the back, and Renee's going to take you through that. So I'm just going to draw that to your attention, which sh um, highlights a number of different areas where we can serve together as well. And then the following weekend, uh, which is the 24th actually, Lee is going to share a little bit about some of the ways we can work together in our small groups. Friends, it is so much easier to take risks in community. And when we do that together, when we have a committed team, a compelling purpose, and the clear communication, the Bible says this beautiful verse. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is. I haven't put it on your outline. When brothers dwell in unity, for there the Lord commands a blessing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these small groups within our church, these little communities, these ministry teams, where we can find trust, where we can find empathy, where we make accommodation for each other, and where we have a clear mission and direction. Friends, I believe God wants to use you on a team, and I invite you in your mind to pray this prayer. Would you be prepared to say to your Heavenly Father, God, I want you to use me, whatever I've got, in any way, at any time, and in any place. I want to learn to serve you. But I want to do it, not alone, but in community. With trust and empathy, and accommodating each other, but also this clear mission of serving you to make a difference for your kingdom, to be your hands and feet, to do what you would have done in the flesh. Open new opportunities for me, Lord, and help me be strong and courageous and to take a step of faith that I may grow in my love for you and others. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.